Thank you. Um, what I'd like to do now is to give you uh, a, a, a little bit of a, a perspective uh, that resulted from a, a sister activity to this particular activity. And uh, a number of us got together uh, a few years ago and thought it would be very interesting to share perspectives as about uncertainty as part of a decision relevant information. And so this is also, was also funded, uh, supported by the Green Templeton College Academic Initiative Fund. And we really wanted to do is learn and share those practices and theories from across a variety of different uh, sectors or disciplines. We had medical, scientific, social, decision theory, and environmental disciplines. And it really was trying to understand how and why they were moving in this direction. They were describing and communicating that uncertainty and, and how they were doing it to inform decisions. So what we did is, is that we invited three or four um, lectures at Green Templeton College to give these different perspectives. And we had one, the first one we had was dealing with uncertainties in UK energy policy, some lessons from experience, so from the energy sector, the energy policy sector. We had uncertainty risk and decision making, a view from the environmental social science perspective. Uncertainty risk and decision making in medical care, what should patients and clinicians make of it, a medical perspective. And then an uncertain climate, a climate science perspective. Two of the people that, are, that gave those lectures are in the audience today and have, are, giving, are giving talks as well. And, but I thought I'd just share some of the, the points that came up. The first one was by, uh, on the, from the environmental or the energy policy sector, was given by Jim Watson. He just had a new position, but this was his position at the University of Sussex. And he was looking at the large uncertainties that are associated, how we meet the targets, the, the energy targets, and, and, and whether in fact they, they, they can meet and how meeting them might affect our energy policy goals such as security and affordability. And one of the, some of the really interesting things that came out of this discussion were related to the, the, the ability of the policy community to accept those uncertainties and make decisions in the face of those uncertainties. And some of the concluding remarks after we looked at that, had that potential, that, that presentation, is, is that there are a myriad of uncertainties. There's the long time horizons, the multiple and sometimes competing objectives that exist in, in energy policy. You're looking at the fact that, um, that, that you know, energy policy, there's, really, there's a lot of concern about uh, uh, security of, that, of, of our energy. The, there's concerns about the affordability, as we're all noting now, and some of the prices going up, et cetera. And there's uh, the concerns associated with emissions. And the multiple dis dis dimensions of that change that are going on, and needing to bring that information into place. But what was quite obvious is there's this mixed attitude, attitudes, I should say, to, un to uncertainty. You know, we have the, the pathways that embrace the numerical uncertainty, by giving options and also open up access to use of tools. I think some of you might even have used the, some of the DEX 2050 and some of those tools that are available. And we're seeing more and more of these tools coming to, uh, coming to us. And, and, and they accept that uncertainty. I was at a, at a presentation uh, yesterday where they're actually looking at how they can affect teenagers' behavior and the use of tools and, and games and, and, and uh, different activities 
were quite prevalent in there that it, that recognized that uncertainty and was able to you know there there was an acceptance of that and uh, but at the same time there's less comfortable with the decision relevant information that establishes that thinking and if you think about it if you have an established way of thinking about something such as you know we we want to ensure we have national security relative to importing our energy and being dependent upon that there's less comfort with dealing with the uncertainty of how that may impact upon you. Then we had uh, Nick. Nick came in and, and gave us a talk, uh, 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 giving us this environmental, so, you know, from an environmental social science perspective. The, the presentation he gave asked, what do we know about the types of environmental uncertainty, their significance, impacts for both policy decisions and communication with the pu public? And there is little appreciate, appreciable progress in the UK as whether, as elsewhere on the necessary strategic approach to supporting policy decision and communicating uncertainty were some of the conclusions that came out of that. You'll notice that I'm giving here, and I, I understand these presentations will be available. All of these presentations, all of these lectures are available and you can watch Nick give his presentation if you wish, as well as the others. And if you go on to here, you can see those presentations. And uh, as I said, uh, these, these will be available, won't they, James? So you can go on and, uh, and, and, and experience them again. Some of the recommendations on communication, communicating climate change that came out of this one was psychological science can help communications of climate science. And this is something that I think that Nick uh, reinforced today focuses on decisions by reframing the debate in terms of risk. Strategic listening is one thing that Nick talked about again today. Uh, communication with, not dissemination to the audience. And it's really quite interesting as you're seeing this, this, this evolution of, of knowledge to inform decisions, <coughs> moving away from the first generation where it was essentially research, here's my results, take it, to moving to a, a second generation that is that is knowledge exchange, and then moving now to a third, and some people are suggesting even a fourth generation, where we're getting into uh, knowledge mobility and knowledge integration, and, and, and moving away from this traditional, here's my results approach. Using multiple uh, message, and sorry, and strategic listening is very much part of that uh, third generation. Use multiple messages to tackle the diverse values and emotional responses within an audience. And this is becoming, you know, this, this idea of the multiple messages I think is becoming very important and we, again, all of the speakers so far have, have emphasized that. The testing of messages, as Emily talked about, the strategic boundary organizations, again, is something that a lot of people are, are, are seeing the benefit of. And, then, and as Nick talked about, again, the strategic organizations, the multiple disciplinary teams that have a rapid response capability to answer policy making questions as they crop up, but also a long-term research. And this is also reflected, if you can see, if you're aware of what's going on in the climate change area, we have within the UK, there is the AVOID program that is often used for this rapid response. But up in Scotland, there's also climate exchange and uh, Wales and Northern Ireland are starting to experiment with these, these, these multidisciplinary teams that are able to respond to questions. Then we took the medical perspective and we had Dr. Angela Coulter come in and, and talk to us. And so I thought it was quite interesting 
you know, in, in her, her presentation, she, she showed, you know, she talked about we are still left with a great deal of uncertainty when it comes to dealing with medical problems. You know, clinical guidelines and shared decision making and attempt to reduce unwarranted uh, variations is a policy response. And there are a number of treatment or care or uh, support possibilities to consider, each of which requires an assessment of the potential benefits, harms, and uncertainties. And some of the message that come out, came out from this is uncertainty is ambiguous in medical decisions. I mean, that, that's no surprise. We heard it again through a number of the presentation. And many decisions are a trade-off between living with the symptoms and the risk of side effects of the treatment. And some of, with some, some patients, that is what you're trying to, to deal with them. There's not only a myriad of options they may be able to take, but one of those, and one of those options, I should say, is living with the, uh, the symptoms. Patients ask for a lot of information about treatment alternatives, benefits, harms, recovery times, quality of life, self-help. They're asking these questions. And it's fund fundamental to work to improve the quality of medical decisions that has, and that has to mean greater patient involvement. And this again is, was reinforced by some of the talks we had earlier today where we talked about this participatory decision making and, and, and undertaking, uh, um, and when undertaking decisions. And then there is a real need for methods for measuring decision quality and monitoring performance. Will, uh, will have to be established. But one thing I'm finding quite interesting when I'm dealing with the medical community, listening to a number of uh, discussions, it's not, it's very rarely have I heard a lot of discussion about the uncertainty of the problem. It's more about the uncertainty associated with the treatment. And so there's a lot of, some of the lessons I'm, I'm getting from this is that there, in addition to understanding the uncertainty that exists within the climate, we have to start also discussing very effectively and very purposely the uncertainty with the responses. And I think if you don't have the second message, you're, you're focusing everyone on the uncertainty that's associated with the climate rather than the uncertainty associated with the decision. And you need to have both in mind when you're dealing with that. And then Chris, who will be speaking later today, came in and talked about his uncertain climate. And I'm not going to try and, try and repeat what, I don't want to go too much into what uh, Chris said here, but it, it really looked at the, uh, because he, he'll be talking more later today, but he looked at the key uncertainties in, in, is the extent to which humans will take measures to mitigate anthropogenic influences on climate. and and. And I, so he, he proposed to address this uh, climate delusion and its consequences. And some of the key points that were taken from that is, is that detailed descriptions of uncertainty can actually drive listeners to feel anxious and fearful. A natural response to this feeling is to, is to disavow and to deny. And that's what we're seeing in a lot of cases when you, when you talk about uncertainty and there's detailed descriptions. And, and recognition that uncertainty is a, is, is a fact of life. We've had uncertainty forever, and we will have in the past, and we will have uncertainty into the future. And we have to accept that that, that, that is a fact of life. And, and, and then, but there is high expectations that, uh, as to how much we can reduce that uncertainty. There is a considerable high expectation that we can reduce that uncertainty an effective response to this problem may be to use risk approaches as a way of dealing with that. 
climate science has evolved from weather forecasting and so has a hamper, is hampered by an approach based on improving accuracy or reducing uncertainty. And, and there is a question, one of the things that uh, Chris questioned is whether this is helpful at the climate scales. Can, is this a helpful way of moving forward? And then suggested that climate resilience may be a more constructive approach than climate prediction and use of risk registers can improve resilience to climate and starting with current climate is a, is a very effective approach. Emerging themes as a basis for further investigation and that's what we were trying to do. What were some of the themes that we saw that needed some further investigation? And there's a relationship, One of the, there's, there's, these five themes came up, came up from these discussions and we're finalizing these and looking further and what needs to be further uh, done in each of these areas. Relationship between the nature of the complexity of the system and the uncertainty of the decision relevant information is really trying to understand that relationship. Scientific integrity and science's role in advocating change. You know, what happens when you become an advocate for change? Would it undermine your professional imperity, uh, professional impartiality, I should say, and provide valuable and understandable insights? Learning lessons from institutions and programs that practice multidisciplinary research on the science policy boundary. I think we can do some of that, and that's some of the things we heard today, and, and different institutions are doing that. Measures to assess decision quality, testing messages with trial audiences, again, we've heard that uh, earlier, and risk-based and resilience approaches and understanding how that, that framing may help us move forward in better communicating this. This is the, uh, the team that we're involved in this. Um, the, uh, we're all, the four of us are all uh, research fellows at Green Templeton College. Mary McMenamin, Sarah Darby, Jeff Lye, and, and Ron and myself. But we also had the help of Fiona Hewer, who is a uh, um, uh, consultant that helped us pull together this report that, that we're hoping to get out very shortly. Thank you.